Steve. I have on here uh, two songs that he wrote or he sang, "Let Us in Worship." It's pretty apropos to the message this morning. "Give Thanks" was song one, that was the main part of the song that we sang, and then the second one was "This Is Our Hymn of Grateful Praise," song two. So this, for some reason, it just seemed to seemed to flow in a little bit to the message. Um, is everybody awake today? Are you still tryptophanning right now? I had too much turkey on Thanksgiving and throughout the week, and maybe did the turkey sandwiches. Do we need to do some calisthenics, some stretches, some jumping jacks or something to kind of get you up a little bit? I think so. Everybody just looked at me like I'm crazy. So I had about four cups of coffee this morning, which is pretty normal for me. Uh, but some of you look like you just woke up. I'm not going to point anybody out. got a new Bible. I bought it uh, a few days ago, I think Friday night actually, and I was going to pick up Grant from work and I decided I had a little extra time to kill so I went and picked up a new Bible and I grabbed uh, ESV. There were several ESVs at the bookstore and a lot of them had commentations on them at the bottom of the verse and I just didn't like what they had to say. I thought, well, that's one man's opinion, so I'm going to find a Bible that doesn't have any commentaries on it to kind of lead me one direction or the other. And so the very, uh, years ago, what time is it? 11.45? Our clock says 10.45. It's 10.45. That's what I meant. I'll stop at 11.45, Brian. Um, Years ago, uh, I had a brand new Bible at this one here, and it says Nathan and Brenda Porter on it. It was a, it was a gift from my mom and dad uh, from, for a wedding present. And I'm looking at this, uh, this Bible, and it's completely underlined and highlighted and notes written on it. And I remember the first time any ink got put on the pages of this book was from my wife. We were laying in bed, and we're reading, and she grabs a pen, and she's reading out of it. It says Nathan and Brenda Porter. I've since taken it as mine, but at the time, she was reading it, and she grabs a pen, and she reaches over, and it was one of those slow motion things, like a car wreck about to happen, that you can't quite do anything about it because you're just in shock that it's about to happen, and she underlines a verse in the Bible, and I thought, how irreverent can you get, woman? And I was so upset and she said, what are you talking about? I said, you wrote in my Bible. She says, one, it's our Bible. And two, this is how I remember things. And so it was a paradigm shift for me that it's okay to write notes and underline things in your Bible as reference points. And uh, so thank you for that, Brenda, for doing that 18, 17 years ago, however long it's been since that happened. Um, and this morning, I, I underlined for the first time in my new, my new Bible here, and the verse that I underlined was... 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 in the ESV, and it reads this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I'm going to flip back and forth a few times today just to help you understand the, the differences in the versions. But 1 Timothy 4, 16 in the NIV, left column, bottom of the page, says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. 
Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, life and doctrine is what the NIV reads, and the ESV reads uh, on yourself and on the teaching. That word doctrine in the Greek means teaching or instruction. A lot of times when we hear the word doctrine, we naturally kind of shy away from that word because it sounds religious and it sounds uh, liturgical, big million dollar religious words. And so that word doctrine simply means teaching or instruction. And over the last several months, we've been going over some very, what I would consider elementary teachings or doctrines within Christianity, the elementary teachings about Christ. And today we're also going to talk about doctrine. We're going to talk about instruction. And it may surprise you what we're going to talk about because it doesn't sound like it's a doctrine because the mind that we have when we hear the word doctrine, we hear big churchy word and we've got to be dressed a certain way and we've got to be in a certain building and we've got to have the right smoke coming out of the candle and the, the, the sacred cow may, maybe shouldn't be here and you just hear a lot of churchy stuff where the word doctrine is simply instruction. And so the instruction we're going to hear today from the Word of God is about thanks. Because that is a teaching in the Scriptures. That is an instruction in the Scriptures, is thanks. The word thanks kind of came about through this sermon because we just celebrated what some consider their favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, because you're surrounded by turkey and stuffing and cranberry and mashed potatoes and gravy and the green bean casserole and the three or four trips back to the pie stand, which is followed by a nice long siesta for most people. That's what Thanksgiving's all about. That's what it was for me. In fact, we, we ate and then we shot shotguns off the back porch. So it was just a good Thanksgiving day. It's my personally my favorite holiday. And one of the reasons it's my favorite holiday is because of the food that's associated with it. And the second reason it's my favorite holiday is because of the thanks, which once a year we tend to, as a nation, come together and we set aside some things, and we just, we, we, some people do this in tradition. They go around the table, they go around the circle and say, what am I thankful for? And people say, well, I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that I have a house. I'm thankful that I have food. I'm thankful that I have clothing. I'm thankful for my spouse, or I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my health. There's all these things that people give thanks for. And so naturally, I looked at that, and I said, well, thanks has got to be something that we can look at from scripture to understand why we give thanks or who we give thanks to and so this morning we're going to look at this idea this concept of thanks and it was the word thanks or thanksgiving or thankful or some version of that word thanks is found in the bible around 139 times both old testament and new testament and of those times the very first time it's used the word thanks or thanksgiving is in leviticus chapter 7 now, if I struggle a little bit as I'm flipping, deciding which Bible I want to go to, I know it's, it's like a pogo stick. You've got to practice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to occasionally maybe go back if I can't find something because I know where it's at on the page here. I'm going to flip to a, the, my new version of the Bible here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse, start in verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, that's the first time that I've found that the word thanks or thanksgiving or thankful is used in the scriptures. 
If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice, unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings." And the flesh of the offerings, we're going through 15, and the flesh of the, uh, where was I? 15, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. So we have offerings, we have these atonements that were made for the nation of Israel when they would bring an offering, whether it be grain or whether it be a lamb or whether it be wine or whatever they would give to the Lord. And they would give to the Lord as uh, almost a guilt offering or an offer for a propitiation of sin, an atonement, a rolling over of sin, a recognizing that they had fallen short either against God or against one of their Israelite neighbors. And so they were giving this to God as a sacrifice to say, hey, forgive me. This peace offering that we see in Leviticus chapter 7, the first time that there's this thanksgiving offering or peace offering or fellowship offering, is not that type of offering. It is not a guilt offering. It is not an offering giving to God saying, hey God, I've done something wrong, please forgive me. I'm making up for the wrongdoing. And when I was going over this, it it reminded me, I need to give an example of what a peace offering is in our culture, how we would understand it. Men would understand it when they do something wrong or they upset their wife or they say something wrong. They go to the store on their way home and they get a bouquet of flowers Am I right? Yep. Get up. Thank you, Ryan. At least we have one honest man in the room. Give a bouquet of flowers and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And she says, oh, thank you. You're so thoughtful. I, I, I forgive you. I appreciate it. Or about 11 years ago, I had saved up and saved up for this new truck that I wanted. I bought it out of Texas, at Texas Direct Auto. Don't ever buy a truck from Texas Direct Auto. They said it had not been smoked in, and they lied, and we could not get it out. But I bought this Toyota Tacoma Tundra. Tundra? Which is a smaller one? I got a Tundra, Toyota Tundra from Texas Direct Auto, and it shows up, and I paid for it, and they shipped it from Texas, and I went and picked it up at the met the guy, and I drove it up to the house, and I parked it in the front of the driveway, and I was all excited, and I went in, and I said, Brenda, it's here! So she came outside, and Grant comes, he's five years old at the time, Grant comes walking around the truck, and he's holding this rock. And I just knew something happened that wasn't right. And he's got this big smile on his face, like he was drawing me a picture. He was happy. And I go around the side of the truck, and he had taken this rock, and he had scratched the truck on the side of it, but it was, he was excited because he was drawing me a picture, because we had said, hey, if you want to draw... Grab one of these chalk markers or something you can draw on the concrete. It'll come up, and he's drawing on the concrete. Well, he did it to the side of the truck, and I just turned bright red. I was super angry, and I turned around, and Mom just said, don't, Grant, don't say anything. And I just turned out, and I walked away, and I came after, for about, it took me about an hour, hour and a half to really process everything, and I realized I'd never told him don't draw on the side of a truck with a rock before. I mean, I thought it's common sense, but it's a five-year-old. I, I didn't expect him to do it, but he did it. 
And it's just a truck. It's not a big deal. I can probably buff it out because he wasn't digging into it. It was just, you know, it's the surface part of it. So, but I come back an hour and a half later, and what is he doing? He's detailing the truck. He's in there cleaning it up. He's, he's vacuuming. He's wiping everything down. He's trying to get the smoke smell out. He's wiping the scratches down. And I thought, wow, he is, he is making a propitiation of sin. He had done something wrong, and he was trying to make up for it. That's not the peace offering or the fellowship offering that this particular Leviticus 7 offering is referring to. This is referring to one of three things. A peace offering given as a free will offering, thanking God for the provisions and his unsought generosity. It's basically saying, thank you for doing, God, what you do. It's not saying I've earned anything. I'm trying to get... It's just saying, thank you, God, for doing what you do. That's the first reason why they would have a peace offering or a free will offering. The second is it was kind of given alongside of a vow. It was saying, look, I don't have resentment for holding this vow. And we see that with Hannah when she brought Samuel to the temple and she dedicated Samuel to the temple. This, this free will offering and this peace offering is saying, thank you, God, for who you are. I'm not holding anything back. This is just because I love you and I'm grateful for who you are, God. And the third is a peace offering thanking God for helping us in our hour of need. God, thank you for helping me. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for, in the, the time of my need, you were there. And that's the type of offering that this is talking about in Leviticus chapter 7. It was not to atone for some sin. And so we see this in the, in the Old Testament. We see this concept of just giving thanks to God. And we sing these songs. And when I look around, brothers and sisters, and friends, and people I don't know yet, when I look around outside and I just walk out there and I see a raccoon, a family of raccoons skating up the canal bank yesterday when Titus and I were motorcycle riding on the, uh, by the desert, and he's just skirting up the canal. I'm like, whoa, that's cool, this family of raccoons. And then I see an eagle flying about 10 minutes later over this field uh, out on 25 Road. I just see those types of creations and I just give awe to God and going, man, God, you are awesome. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being so creative. This is doctrine. This is teaching. This is what the scriptures teach us to do. And I want to look at this scripture in 2 Samuel. And we're talking about David. And it was funny because I know Steve, Steve and I did not talk this week about uh, worship or anything like that. But in 2 Samuel chapter 22, David, and everybody knows David, right? He is the man after God's own heart. You've all heard it said David is a man after God's own heart. In fact, Psalm 19, that psalm that you had, that you had referenced in worship, was, was, uh, was David, correct? Psalm 19. So in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50, now I'm also going to look at the NIV version because thanks and praise is often used uh, simultaneously or they, they mean the same in the same context. 2 Samuel 22, in the NIV it says, Therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. He gives his king great victories to show unfailing kindness to his anointed. Um, the, the Hebrew word there is, uh, therefore I will give you thanks, O Lord, among the nations. That's the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word praise and thanks are the same. I will give you thanks, O Lord, among the nations. In the ESV, it says, 
For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nation, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So we have this, I will praise or I will give thanks. That word in the Hebrew that is used in this particular passage is to praise, to shoot, to give thanks or thanksgiving. And that's what David is saying. I will give thanksgiving. I will praise you. I will give you thanks, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. And naturally, I have to ask, why? Why is David, in this moment of Scripture, saying, I will give you thanks, God. I will give you thanks, Lord. I will give you praise, Lord, among the nations. Why is he doing it right here? And so naturally, we've got to go back in Scripture to first, or 2 Samuel 22, verse 1, and we look at David, and David, is, is, he, he spoke to the Lord, the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is David speaking to the Lord, and I, this is a long reading, it's the only long reading I'm going to have in this whole sermon, and I hope that you can stay with me and that the tryptophan doesn't kick in again, and just focus, on, and if you can follow along, then follow along. But I'm going to try and read it in a way that I feel like David probably wrote it and how he was feeling when he wrote this word. Because I believe this is is the divine word of God and you know I believe that. I believe when David spoke this, he was led by the Spirit of God. He was giving praise to God. He was giving thanks to God. This God, this creator of the universe that we recognize every day if we follow the Scriptures in Romans 1 by saying, by what has been made, men are without excuse. We cannot look around and not recognize that the God of the universe spoke it into existence. He, he put it there for us. He spoke it. He created us. He knew us. He loves us. He sacrificed Jesus for us. This is the God that David is referring to in 2 Samuel verse 22, chapter 22. In verse 1, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. From the waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress... I called upon the Lord, and to my God I called from His temple. He heard my voice, and my cry came to His ears. He's crying out to God because He's got the the snares of death, the cords of Sheol, and the torrents of destruction around Him, and He calls out to the Lord. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heaven trembled and quaked because He was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. This beautiful picture of God coming to David through the request and through the prayer that that David called out to God in his terrible times that he was going through. Out of the brightness before him, Verse 13, coals of fire inflamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered His voice and He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. 
The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They, too mighty for me. they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because He was delighted in me. If you go back, and we're going to in a minute, we're going to do a quick from first Sam, or Second Samuel 11 on, you're going to see that he was in this battle. He was in these wars. He was, he was in fighting. People were attacking him. His own son created a coup to take over the kingdom of Israel. His own son, Absalom. And so David is praising God, and he says, He came down from heaven. The Lord dealt with me. And listen to this. We're going to look at this here in a minute again. But I want you to hear these words. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Man, David was a righteous man. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in His sight. I'm going to deal with that again in a minute, but man, I sure want to be like David. With the merciful, verse 26, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty. That's prideful. To bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my law my way blameless. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Just a minute ago, he said, the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me and the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me and yet here he says, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept, you kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, 
who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will thank you, O Lord. For this I will praise you, O Lord. David is, is he's retelling this story. It's like, I cried out to God. They were against me. God came down. He saved me. He gave me the strength. I beat them. And for this, Lord, I'm thanking you. I'm giving you the glory. I'm giving you the praise. That's this prayer of David and the song of David as he's speaking to God. And I'm, I'm looking at this, this whole story and I'm going, wait a second. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And he says, I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed from my God for all His rules were before me and from His statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before Him and I kept myself from guilt. And I thought, David, 15 or 20 years ago, you had a relationship with a married woman and had her husband killed. 2 Samuel chapter 11, brothers and sisters, that's the timeline of the story. He just got done saying, I was blameless, I kept myself from guilt, and God rewarded me according to my righteousness. Did he forget what he did? I think God forgot what he did. Go Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. After David has this, not just an inappropriate relationship. He didn't have a, a, a weak moment. He had a weak thought, which was followed by a scheming plan, which resulted in him getting one of his warriors murdered to cover up his sin. Let's call it what it is. That's what he did. And so when he does this, and the prophet Nathan comes to David, and he tells him this story about this guy that has a couple of sheep. And, and he, he let me read the story in, in 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other was poor. The, man, the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity... And Nathan said to David, you are that man. The very man you're saying needs to die, you're the man that did that by taking this other man's wife as your own and then getting him killed. And look at David's response. In verse 12, he says, Nathan says, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And he said, your, your son's going to die. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Look at David's response. David's response in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. 
I have sinned against the Lord. Six words. Six words show a repentant heart, a remorse that he had for what he did, and what was God's response through the prophet? Okay, I'm not going to kill you, but your son's going to die. I'm not going to kill you, even though that's, what's, that's what the, the Old Testament law says, that you need to die for your sin of what you did. But God says, I'm not going to kill you. Fast forward 15 to 20 years later, and David has the ability to say that I was righteous before God. I was purified before God. David is a shadow story of us recognizing that regardless of our past, God can heal. God can heal. And that's what God does. God's in the business of healing people, of forgiving people for their discretion, because we all have them. Every human in this room has them. And God says, oh, you're going to have a repentant heart? Done. Forgiven. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. That's what God did to David, and that's why David could say, thank you, God, I praise you. I wrote here, David could give thanks to God and feel guiltless because of who God is, not because of who David was. David was able to give praise and thanks to God because of who God is and what God does. Isn't that a beautiful story when you look, when you read a verse like this when he says, that I will praise you, I will give you thanks among the nations. But then you go, wait a second, not long ago, wait, you just said uh, the word of the Lord is flawless, and wait, you said here that I have kept the ways of the Lord, I have not done evil. Yes, you did. And God said, no, He didn't. Your sins, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You came to me, you made a mistake, and you came to me and you said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. God said, let's move on. They could give thanks at that point, and they could give praise to God for who He is. Is that making sense? When we hold on to stuff in the past, when we hold on to stuff in the past, there's all these cute cliches about, you know, you're in jail, but you hold the key, and you've got a, you've got a ball and chain on you, but you hold the key. No, it, it, there's some truth to that. You are doubting God's providence of forgiveness when you hold on to the past. You are doubting what God says is true. You are a mild atheist. You are doubting, and I've been a mild atheist at times, I've held on to it, and then I go, no, that's not who God sees me as anymore. I can give thanks to Him because of what He did. I can give thanks to Him because He forgave me for the things that I've done, and I was genuinely repentant and remorseful and said, God, I don't, See that as fun. I see that as sin that separated me from you. And thank you, God, for what you did for me. That's thanks. So why do you some why do you some of you hold on to the old stuff? I say that to Brenda all the time. Why do God bring up old stuff? No, she doesn't bring up old stuff. It's when she's winning an argument, and I'll say, Why do you, well who really wins? But when she's winning, like, why do you bring up old stuff? She doesn't bring up old stuff. But we do that as human beings. We, we hold on to the past. And we, there's this beautiful passage, beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on 
Jesus. Good, Titus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's looking through the front window. It's not looking through the rearview mirror. And that's what God is telling us to do as we look through this, the entire Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to flip through these and I'm going to read these. We're told in the New Testament to give thanks to God continually. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter tw- uh, 5, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's towards the end, it's Paul, it's Paul talking to the church of the Thessalonians, and he's, he's wrote two letters, this is the first letter, towards the end of the first letter, he said, we ask you brothers, verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you, brothers. It's this, this benediction and these final instructions that Paul is giving to the church here. And he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. I can't simplify that. The writer could simplify. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, like what? Like what? What are we to give thanks for? What circumstances is he talking about? I have, I don't know, 10 verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 13, 14 verses. And I'm not going to read everything, every single one of them. It's been 30 minutes already, so we'll, we'll get to the end here. Matthew chapter 15, we need to give thanks for our food. This is the practical application, and we did that over Thanksgiving. We sat together and we prayed and we thanked God for the food. We, this is all, these, these scriptures, I have notes. Hold up your notes, Rachel, please. So you, okay, right, There's some notes back there. There's a single page of scriptures. You guys can go back and read them tonight uh, or tomorrow, whenever, throughout the week. But we give thanks, practical application. What do we give thanks for? We give thanks for our food. Jesus did. We give thanks for physical healing. Jesus did. We... Uh, with the leper, the ten lepers in, in Luke 17. In Luke 22, his sacrifice is remembered and he gives thanks. And it's when we take communion, we give thanks and we remember, which Rick's going to do communion here in a few minutes, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and we give thanks for that. We give thanks again for our food in John 6. And again, food, Romans 14, when it talks about disputable matters. We give thanks whether we eat meat and we give thanks if we don't eat meat. He says, in all situations, give thanks. If you're not going to eat it, give thanks. If you're going to eat it, give thanks. What are you to do? Give thanks. 1 Corinthians, this is a beautiful one. Give thanks for our victory in Jesus. Give thanks for that victory. Give thanks to Jesus for leading us in our walks in evangelism. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus did not say, I'm going to spin this top and just see how you guys do. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. 
And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He's leading us in our walks. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So do we give thanks when we have a struggle at work? We have a struggle with our spouse. We have a struggle with our children. We have a struggle with our friends. Do we go, Jesus, help me? Yes, because we can. And when He does, and He puts it into perspective, we can say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Because you said you were going to help us, and we believe that your word is true. So we can do that in, in 2 Corinthians. It talks about that. Another one, inspiring us towards empathy in 2 Corinthians 8. We're thankful that He inspires others in us towards empathy for other human beings. We can thank Him for the gift of generosity toward others in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I thank you for your gift. We can thank God. Think about that. That guy, that woman was the one that gave the gift, but who did Paul thank? He thanked God. I thank my God because of your generosity. Because he knows that everything, good thing, comes from God. And so there's a generous spirit that generous spirit comes from the Lord, and the Apostle Paul is saying, thank God for that generosity that Dennis has. Thank God for that empathy and that generosity that Brooke has, that Rachel has. That's, that's human beings looking around and looking at other Christians and saying, thank God for that person. That is giving thanks. Ephesians, thanks for our faith and love of others. Colossians 1, our Christian faith and our love for other Christians. So not only thank Thankful for our faith. Thank you, God, for my faith. Thank you for being the author of my faith. But thank you, God, for being the author of her faith. And thank you, God, for being the author, author of his faith. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for the work, the labor, and the endurance of the saints. Because without the salt, the food spoils. Without the light, it's dark. Thank you, God, for the perseverance of the saints. And if I miss anything, Ephesians 5.20 says uh, we are to be thankful always and for everything. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Always and for everything. If I forgot something in here and I didn't have the room on the paper, let's just sum it up. Be thankful always and for everything. Now I'm going to step on some toes. <laughs> on accident. I'm going to work this in. I know a wise man that once said, discontentment and depression can be a result of an ungrateful heart. And then he said, have you ever met a depressed and discontent grateful person? I've met some people that had a lot of reasons to be depressed, and I met a lot of people that have reasons to be discontent because of their lifestyle, because of their upbringing, because of their circumstances. Man, you know what the anecdote for that is? In most circumstances, I would venture to say, is a paradigm shift of having a grateful heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. How can I glorify you? Is that too harsh, Steve? Thank you, Jesus. How can I glorify you? How can I give you praise? 
in what situation in this circumstance where my life is hard, where can I find the beauty? Because the Scriptures say all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Not just the good things, but all things work together for the good. Is there contention in a marriage? There was in our marriage a couple years ago, and it wasn't healthy contention. But it brought us to probably the best marriage relationship we've had since the beginning of our marriage. So how did, how did we get there? Because we went through muck and crap. That's what we went through to get there. And now we're in a, a wonderful place because we went through that and we're like, we've got to focus on the good things. We have to focus on the positive and slowly get better at the things we need to get better at. But while we're getting better at those things, it's better already because we're working on it. We see that there's a goal ahead of us. We can go, oh, this is good. We see something that's good in the future. That's why we give thanks to God for putting in His Word, how should a husband treat a wife? How should a wife treat a husband? Thank you, God, for giving us those Scriptures so we can understand how to live according to Your way and Your will. That's what it says in here. That's what we're taught in the Word. Ephesians chapter 5. If you haven't memorized it or understand your role, then look it up because it will help you. And follow it. Anybody that looks at it and says, eh, it's going to be tough for you. We're coming upon this season of Christmas. My kids are like, why is there already Christmas music on the radio? And I'm like, I don't know. I wish they would stop it. Brooke disagrees with me because she wants to listen to it from like ever. I'm like, no. Like it should, about a week before, you know, maybe the 12 days of Christmas, maybe 12 days before, I'm good with that. But Thanksgiving? Why am I hearing about Rudolph on Thanksgiving? I mean, it's still fourth rifle season. I want to think about Bambi on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but we live in that where we're in this, this world that is so commercialized and that Christmas is coming and it's Black Friday, yes, two days ago, and it's want, 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 want. And all of these wants start switching over with needs. And we've got to recognize and accept the fact that there are wants in the world and there are needs in the world. We don't need much. We want a lot. We don't need much. And so my, my challenge is for my family, for the congregation, is to really separate the wants and the needs and be very, very, very grateful and thankful to God for fulfilling every need we have. And the rest is just stuff. The rest doesn't really matter. It's the needs that matter. And God will always supply those. And so as we get into this, this season where, I mean, we live in America where our homeless have Wi-Fi and three meals a day. Think about that. You want to know poor? Go to Africa. Go to India. Go to Russia. Go to these places where there's truly poor, poor people. Not just homeless, but people that they don't have food. Little children that don't eat. That's the, the, the war that we're in, I feel like, in our country, is that we don't recognize what truth is because our perspective is a little bit skewed by how much wealth we have. We can just print money off and get a check in the mail and we're good to go. That's not re reality. 
And as Christians, I feel like we need to be the salt and be the light and say, you know what? I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be thankful for what God is constantly blessing us with, which is a roof over our head, food, food on our table, health in our kids, health in us. I got up breathing. I can walk. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can live. We may not have everything we want, but we've got everything we need here, and let's be grateful for that and thankful as we go into this Christmas music season. Brother, you are up for communion, and uh, God bless you guys. I hope you all had an awesome Thanksgiving. And I hope you continue to give thanks as we uh, we shed the light.